Hi everyone, this is Mike with Palms of Pines Parasport and episode 27 of Getting Everyone Moving. Today we have Professor uh, Kathy McKay from James Madison University. Hey, Kathy. Hi. So let's get right into it here. Um, so how did you get started with adaptive sports? And I mean, what do you do as a professor? Which department are you in? So I'm in the Department of Kinesiology at James Madison University. And um, I got started with adaptive sport as uh, part of my dissertation and or part of my doctoral uh, work at the University of Virginia. Um, Dr. Uh, Martin Block was my mentor and advisor throughout my graduate work. And um, I'm very fortunate to uh, have worked with him. And so uh, when we started to land on a topic for my dissertation, I was very interested in uh, attitudes uh, towards um, disability and attitude towards individuals with disabilities and um, knew that the number one factor that determines um, the success of inclusion practices K-12 is the attitude of the peer group. And so then what can we do to change attitudes? And so I started looking at curriculum or curricula that existed that allowed us to um, raise awareness and educate about disability. And I chose the sport realm um, because that was closest to my field and my interests. And so, yeah, so I'd, I've been working with Paralympic sport and uh, Paralympic sport education and awareness uh, now for about 10 years. Um, and it's offered me so many awesome opportunities, uh, yeah, to hopefully shift those paradigms. Yeah, so I, you know, I know, I mean, awareness raising is a really big thing. I mean, there's no doubt about that. You know, I spent time overseas and then came back after seven years thinking, hey, in the U.S., you know, it's going to be fantastic and not the case. So one of the things that you do, which I have a bit of experience with, too, is this whole adaptive sport day. So can you describe that and you know, who, which students you're working with and what you try to do. Yeah. So I started working with the International Paralympic Committee's uh, Paralympic School Day curriculum uh, back when I was writing my dissertation. And I used it as the published curriculum that I could collect data with. And then in turn, it just has ended up being a, the program that I know and love and that I implement uh, now at the university level and then also at the K-12 level. And so the Paralympic School Day program that the IPC created is a disability awareness and education program. It's created to raise awareness and pr promote that platform for attitude change. And it specifically does this through utilizing contact theory, which is this idea that when we have equal status, meaningful contact, collaborative contact with individuals who are different than ourselves, that then we can change attitudes and shift our perspective. And so I believe what makes this type of, of awareness and education work is the actual meaningful interactions with the athletes. And so whether that's community sports club members uh, from a national basketball team um, in your community or whether that's Paralympians coming, um, having that one-on-one -on -one, um, interaction and those one-on-one -on -one connections with those athletes, I think is what truly um, has at least shown through the research to be what makes um, the attitude shifts and those paradigm shifts happen. Do you, so do you have students from all grades participate then and, you know, experiencing wheelchair basketball or sitting volleyball or bocce or goalball? What do you do? Yeah, so the, the youngest that I've worked with so far is in an official capacity with research is middle school and high school and then college. So sixth graders. Uh, 
fifth, fifth and sixth graders. I guess the fifth graders were at one of the middle schools that I worked at. So that would work. Um, although when I, I have taught some of our youngest learners before, and um, I, I taught about a, a private school in New York City. And so even with my kindergarten students, if I wanted to introduce a disability awareness week or a adapted sport week or weeks that to showcase, I, I didn't have access to children's wheelchairs, children's sport wheelchairs, but even using the scooter boards to supplement um, or to try to uh, showcase what, what is it like to try to play a modified game of basketball, but on scooters. And same with like sitting volleyball, I mean, you play sitting volleyball anywhere with any age and just remove the standing part, you know? So I did, I have explored some disability sport education with even our youngest learners. And of course they thought that was awesome. Um, it's just a different way to do sport. And I think sometimes I, I haven't been able to study a group of elementary school students yet and collect official data, but I, I would wonder whether or not if we started getting them at their youngest age before they're forming those attitudes and perceptions of different, of, oh, that's weird, or that's not normal. I think that those types of environment, being able to scaffold that year after year would be amazing. Um, but, I, you know, six, if, if middle school's the place to start, then that works too, but better some education than none. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, one of the, the other pieces that we used to do in North Carolina was a disability etiquette piece, you know, as well. You don't go and touch someone's wheelchair, right? Or you don't stare at someone. But one of the things I also found was that once we put, uh, you know, able-bodied youth in, in sports chairs, they didn't want to get out. Yeah, I mean, agreed. Have you had that kind of experience as well? Yeah, I have. And, you know, and there's some really interesting research that indicates that simulations actually have some real negative aspects to them. And so I try really hard I, and I have had some folks question like, OK, well, is this Paralympic school day you do or Paralympic skill lab? Is that like a simulation? And I, I don't believe it is mainly because if the athletes are there leading the education sessions, um, so I don't lead any of it, um, that the athletes are there to lead it. We're not simulating a disability sport. We're playing a disability sport. And I think there's a difference between simulating and actually playing, even including goalball where, um, you know, simulations with uh, blindness, those are, I think, in that category of like, oh, not the, not the best choice of how we can educate on blindness, you know, but I think when you actually put on the, the eye shades and learn the rules of goalball and actually learn how to play, you're not simulating, you're really participating. So yeah, the students do not want to leave the wheelchairs. I, sometimes when I've done the days and had a uh, sitting volleyball at a station and wheelchair basketball at a station, goalball at a station, wheelchair basketball, it, the other athletes who are there will be like, we know they get all of the fanfare. Just it's the, the excitement of, I think the speed, it's doing something very different and that we perceive to be something that's not fast and that's not dangerous and that's not athletic. And then you do it and you realize it's all of those things. It is, can be kind of dangerous and it is fast and it is athletic and it's hard. And I think that that, that, what maybe is a novelty at first um, or a curiosity then becomes like an actual competitive experience for students who say like, gosh, I'm bad at basketball, but I really like this, you know, or like, or I don't really like sports, but like so students come from all these different avenues and realize, and I think that's part of what makes the experience so great is that it just breaks down so many walls of what they didn't think was possible. Yeah. And, you know, on many levels, it's, you're leveling the playing field, right? Because I mean, I play basketball and obviously I shoot jump shots, but when I 
coach. And when I play wheelchair basketball, obviously I'm not using my legs and it's much more difficult, of course, but you do gain this appreciation, right? When you play. Um, one sport I wouldn't play though is goalball because um, I mean, I've observed and that ball is just too hard. I'm amazed. It goes so fast. You know, it's so funny when you watch if they don't have on the appropriate padding, you know, of course we'll, we'll use, if we have the belt ball, we just tell everyone to, you know, just slow it down. And so when the actual goal ball players are there and they're, I mean, they're just flying and the students are like, you want me to try what? <laughs> but I think that it's really cool when they do have on the, the eye shades and they have to get their bearings of the court. And even if the ball is going super slow, or even if you're using some type of modified sponge ball, it's just the idea of like, it's coming towards you and you have to dive. That is such a foreign feeling. I think for, for most of us, um, I don't know that there's an, a, a able-bodied or a, a Olympic sport that compares to such a thing where you're yeah. diving down on the ground. So, so that also has been, a, um, I mean, it's, it's been, yeah, it's been, it's also been another one that the students are really fascinated by and interested in learning more about because it's, it seems a bit dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the thing that I've found um, working with athletes of various abilities is, you know, you, you shouldn't say can't, of course, um, you know, I work with a, a guy who's almost totally blind and, you know, I mean, he consistently beats me in archery, you know, <laughs> or in bocce ball. I mean, how, how do you help to educate people or create more awareness so that, you know, we create more opportunities for people um, with varying abilities to play? Yeah, I think that the, both the Paralympic Skill Lab and the Paralympic School Day programs have allowed uh, me to create these opportunities that allow for students to um, understand, to, to break down some of those preconceived notions that kind of society deems as what we're supposed to think about people who are different than us. And I mean, I think that some of societal standards it's not just with disability. It, and there's so many societal standards that we should be breaking down actively, but to be able to take this one small, uh, not small, but one societal standard towards able-bodiedness and the like idealized notion that able-bodiedness is, is better or is, is somehow more glamorous or more normal for lack of a better word to have middle school students like in a focus group afterwards or in a reflective essay say, I never thought that I would see somebody in a wheelchair and think, oh, they're strong or wow, they're athletic or, or that they're normal. And, and I, again, that normal is such a, uh, uh, can be such a negative word because what is normal, what's not normal. But that's like the processing that these middle school students especially are going through in our focus groups afterwards. It was like, well, I thought I knew something that was normal, but then I saw like Trey Jennifer roll in and then he's like strongest person I've ever seen. And, you know, so I would never have thought that I, that he was athletic. I mean, you know, so it's just as fascinating to me. So I think that we're opening up these opportunities for individuals without disabilities or who don't have any awareness that these sports even exist to see that our preconceived notions are incorrect and that that our our peers or or community members who have physical disabilities or in wheelchairs like they, they don't need our help and they don't need us to feel sorry for them and they don't need us to feel like they're weird or different and those are the those are the the words i don't say them because they're appropriate as much as that's what our kids are saying right and so we can we can change those thoughts. First, get a good, honest 
take on those thoughts and then change those thoughts, change those perceptions. I think that they'll be better community members because of it. Yeah, you know, I recently interviewed a guy named Craig McClellan and he's involved with uh, US power um, hockey, right? Lives in Minnesota. He's been in a, a power chair his whole life. And, you know, you look at this guy and you go, okay, you know, what's possible? But then, you know, he said he's playing a variety of sports, you know, so it, it changes your perception. Mm-hmm. But, and I think, you know, the work that you're doing is helping to create a more inclusive society. But, you know, what are some more of those other barriers, you know, that need to be brought down? I mean, how do we, how do, we do that? Whether it be, you know, perceptions in the media, uh, whether it be actual physical barriers. I mean, what do you see? Gosh, I feel like there's, oh, there's so many barriers. So I would agree. I mean, media is, I, I think TVs and movies slowly are starting to integrate a little bit more where, I mean, I guess it's like, it's both maybe slowly. I don't know. You can think about like Friday night lights. They showcased some wheelchair basketball in their series ages ago. And I think I can count on one hand, some of the ones that I'm thinking of. So in that sense, it's like, okay, maybe we're not doing so well, (laughs) but I do think that there've been some documentary films and a push and, and some mainstream movies, as well as TV shows that have started to attempt to be better at um, integrating individuals with wheelchairs or individuals who are autistic or in individuals that are just different in whatever way that is. But I think media is a huge barrier. You know, I feel like, um, uh, the way that our communities are set and organized, and especially on a college campus, like when the athletes come to JMU for the Paralympic Skill Lab, we sometimes joke a little bit about how um, JMU is a great, beautiful campus, but it's built on like four different hills. And so um, while it is absolutely, it meets all the ADA, you know, accessibility requirements and all of that, it isn't exactly um, it's not like UT Arlington where it's like super flat and really great for wheelchair users. And so I think we have some some uh, just design barriers and even whether that's community design or campus design or building design. And I mean, I'm, I'm, Jamie, again, is doing a great job with their accessibility. I just don't know that it is as user-friendly perhaps as other places. And so I think that's a barrier, you know, and I think we've got a huge barrier with a lack in, in the U.S. with a lack of knowledge that that Paralympic sport or disability sport even is a thing. And, and I haven't spent anywhere near as much time overseas as you have, but just in some of the research I've done and then in a couple of, of conferences in Europe um, and looking closely at what London did prior to their games in terms of really leveling the playing field for the media and publicity, it, that was very eye-opening for me in terms of what it could be like. And talking to wheelchair basketball players who have played over leave here, play here in college and then leave here to play overseas. I mean, I've noticed a few that I follow on Instagram right now that I've done some work with that are overseas now, you know, and and there's billboards and all cereal boxes, you know, all these things that we don't have here. And so I think that's a huge barrier because even at the college level, like having a a Paralympic gold medalist or really Paralympic athletes in general, regardless of the medals they've won, like come to the campus, if we were to compare that to Olympic athletes coming to campus. And now we're going to have Michael Phelps come into campus and LeBron James. I mean, you know, any of these gold medal winners, I feel like the entire campus would be a buzz that this was happening. This would be like 
major news. And while I've always been very pleased that, that the local news, I mean, it, at campus administrators, I've always had folks come to meet the athletes and see what's going on, but not to the fanfare that I think would happen in other countries. We just don't have them here. So I think we have a huge barrier with, with these things, that this, these exist, that the Paralympics um, are, are a major international competition. And I don't know that we know a ton about it in America. Yeah, I recently um, spoke with Rose Hollerman and um, you know she's playing in Spain and she's one of the biggest stars in the world, right? In women's wheelchair yeah. basketball. And you know, people, yeah, don't know about her which is a real shame. So, so here's a question I wanna ask um, because I'm really interested in this. There are a handful of colleges that offer collegiate adaptive athletic programs, um, which is sad because, you know, kids that are playing their whole life, now they have a limited choice. What do you think are some of those things that need to be done so that we can get more collegiate uh, adaptive athletic programs? Yeah, wow, that is a great question. You know, Rose came out to JMU for one of our Paralympic skill labs and I connected with her through Rebound the Film, which is a wheelchair basketball documentary. and the producer and director, both are JMU grads. And so we kind of found each other and have done some work together. And one of the things that both Mike and Shana have said, the producer and director, when they've come to JMU, um, when, and I have them speak to the group at the end of the lab and um, we set goals and uh, things we want to do as we move forward as advocates and as change makers and not just, okay, you had fun and this was great and you changed your attitude to acceptance, but then let's do something. What can we do about it? One of the things that Mike has always said when he's there is, is our goal this year in the next five or six years to be able to actually have a intercollegiate wheelchair basketball program at JMU. And my colleague, Josh Pate, who I know you, you work with and I, we talk about this in terms of like, can we really do that? Like, could we make that real life? And I, I don't know the answer to that. I would like to say, of course, you know, but I'm not sure that it's as easy as of course, because there are, it seems like funding um, resources, recruiting. I mean, it just seems like there's a lot of because it's not under the NCAA bubble, unless something has changed, I'm pretty sure it's not, not my expertise area. I think that uh, there's still work to be done to figure out how to better develop these programs. And I feel like CUNY uh, up at City University of New York is, is starting a, a new plan for that here over the past couple of years. I've done, I've read a little bit about it and I've had a couple of phone calls and I'm like, oh my gosh, I hope that they're able I hope that is so successful that that's able to become a model then that, that the ACC and the SEC and the CAA and these different um, divisions and conferences can start actually really uh, bringing that to fruition. Because when you know that you already have a couple of SEC schools involved, for example, that once it becomes recognized, I feel like it could become a thing, but I think there's some major barriers right now in the process, uh, yeah. Yeah, there are, I mean, there are a number of schools, Eastern Washington, um, yeah. which, you know, it's a small school, but they're starting wheelchair basketball. I know University of Tennessee was starting something. So I think the more colleges you get involved, but, you know, as Josh pointed out to me, you don't have to go to that level immediately. It's more of, can we get some club sports, you know, going? So, you know, how do we go about doing that? It doesn't have to cost a lot of money. But it also, you know, will attract more students and encourage more students with, you know, differing abilities 
to come to attend college too, right? Agreed, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, yeah. that's a really important thing. So how, here, here's a much broader question then, how, how, we, how do we continue to create this movement and much more inclusion? You know, I don't, did you see the movie Crip Camp? Oh, it's on my list. And yeah. Barack Obama sent that out on his list of movies not to miss. He has like the yeah. top. I was so excited to see it on there. I guess his foundation, they produced it. Um, I believe they did. So, yeah. you know, that is um, just a terrific movie, which talks about how the disability movement, you know, really got going. But how, how, what, what are some of the things that you would do, you know, to try and create a more inclusive society? You know, I think that, and we're just doing it on a small level at JMU, but again, I feel like you have to start somewhere. And I continue to shout from the rooftops at every conference and, and across any of the organizations I'm a part of, and then even through podcasts that, that, that we learn about disability sport. And so it's like the basic level learning about like watching Rebound the Film, you know, watching Crip Camp, like watching some of this basics. And um, I think Rising Phoenix is another new one that I haven't seen yet, but um, also it's like, so so base level, we just need to be able to be aware that these things exist. And it isn't just what's on the occasional TV show now and then, that these are real people with real lives who are doing extraordinary things. And so, and so let's see it as an actual competitive sport. So I think that's one level of starting. But then I think anytime we can get our Paralympic athletes or our local disability sport club athletes, like athletes in general who are participating in disability sport in front of crowds who don't realize this is a thing. And so like I know here in Charlottesville, the Charlottesville Cardinals, they always do a halftime exhibition at a UVA men's game and a UVA women's game. And I think that happens at a lot of, of universities where there are local teams and, and even at um, in some of the NBA halftimes, like where there's a connection with NBA teams. And so, so why can't that be bigger? Like, and I've had this conversation with the Cardinals before because it's always scheduled like, well, before the pandemic, it's always scheduled in, you know, December, a, a game against the non-ACC, you know, rival that is, well, games are generally quite well attended, but, you know, isn't as well attended as say the Duke game or the UNC game. And so it's like, okay, why can't we get that date? Like, why, why are we not having the Cardinals in playing wheelchair basketball on that date instead of the woman on a unicycle balancing plates, which is very entertaining, but a different, different point of that. And so I think it's some of those grassroots where we can start to get the teams and the athletes in front of, in front of folks. I think that makes a big difference when people start to realize that this is a thing. So I know I've, I've started to talk to some of the governing bodies or the, uh, like Shape America, for example, who oversees health and physical education, of course, because of the way our education system is in America, states oversee their own education system. So, so Shape America is just an overall hub, but like if we can roll out disability sport awareness through Shape America, for example, at least that has a chance to reach teachers in all 50 states. And then teachers can start becoming activists at the state level. So, you know, I think right now there's not like, whereas other countries where the government is more of uh, education where then they can push out like disability sport awareness into all their schools. And that's not such a hurdle to jump. But I do think the more we can get, I think sport is one of the best ways to educate about disability and I'm a little biased, but um, I think that if we can get disability sport education into the schools um, and into the communities in a way that's really meaningful and thoughtful, I think we do start to continue to see bigger shifts. And that, I know 
the students that I, whether it's focus group interviews or reflective essays, and whether it's middle school, high school, or college students, all three levels across the board, I'm seeing these just huge aha moments. And, and I mean, even some of the college student essays will be like, this day was one of my top five favorite days of all the stuff I've done, you know, like where they're really having those like, wow. And I think it's the interactions with the Paralympians. It's not just like, oh, wheelchair basketball was fun. It's that they got to know and understand and talk to Adam Ballou from the Paris soccer team or Trey Jennifer um, or Rose, you know what I mean? Like they have uh, Nikki Neves of um, sitting volleyball, oh, so many, so many athletes that, that just, they get to actually feel like they, they know them and they see their strengths and they see their passion and they see the difference they're making. So I don't know. I, I think that's, I, I think that's from a grassroots level, how we start to roll it out. I do think that with the games here in LA in 2028, assuming we get, we get there safely and with vaccinations, um, I think that we have an opportunity here in America to do some really, or here in the US to do some really awesome um, Paralympic education, similar to what London did or uh, different and even enhanced based on what we learned worked there. Um, I hope that is something that will come to fruition. I've had a couple of phone calls related to that. And I'm hoping as we get closer to 2028, that, that some really big programs can roll out because I do think they did some with um, the Atlantic games way back. I, I've read some of the articles and studies um, that that have showcased some of what they did in, in Atlanta proper. And I think that we could, we really could look nationally now that we know we have curriculum that works and programs that work, why can't we see this across all of the states and territories? Yeah, no, it, it makes a lot of sense. I'm hoping, uh, you know, Japan will, uh, you know, do a whole lot more. They, they have a lot of uh, opportunity or a lot of growth prospects. Um, but I think you're right. I think that's exactly what needs to happen. Um, finally, so we're getting a little bit close to the end. Um, what, what kind of message would you like to leave our listeners with, whether it's just about, you know, larger society, uh, whether it's a message geared towards able-bodied, whatever you'd like to say? You know, when I think about a message to leave with, I think I could categorize, categorize this in a couple of different ways. I feel like that for athletes with disabilities who are participating in local sports clubs or who are participating intercollegiately or participating at Paralympic level, regardless of the level, I feel like those to those athletes, I want to, to share, you know, involve yourself in these types of education and awareness programs because the actual contact with the athletes and coaches also, but actual contact and meaningful interactions is what really is changing and shifting paradigms. And I think for um, the listeners who are passionate about disability and disability sport, um, but maybe who aren't involved yet and who are just kind of on the outskirts of, of understanding or knowing or um, yeah that those are the those are the listeners that I would I would encourage to um, make that documentary film list like I have a couple on there I need to watch you know and 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 go to some games and see what it's like you know I think the rebound one of the things I always notice when I watch it with my students is you get to the national championship games that are at the uh, KFC Yum Center, I believe in that film at the end. So there's massive, massive center and they're, they're very sparsely attended. And that's something that um, athletes, all the players. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I think about like those events are, are not very well attended and, and you see the family of the athlete there and maybe an occasional uh, friend that's there, but you don't really see even community members there. Whereas these same athletes leave America and go play overseas or in other places and it's packed, there's tons of fans. So for the listener who isn't actually participating in a sport, but is just curious, attend the games, see what this, see what's happening. Because at the least there's wheelchair basketball games going on, let alone some sled hockey, depending on what area of the country you live in, sitting volleyball. Um, you know, there's there's uh, uh, sporting events happening throughout these, these disability sport clubs or organizations all across the nation. So just being able to start to learn and understand so that we can slowly spread that message to those who are around us. Because what I always think in terms of the work I do with college students is like, and I put it in almost every grant that I write, but this idea that's like, these college students are gonna be future community leaders, they're going to be future school directors, future CEOs, I mean, future community organizers, you name it. And so whatever role they're going into, having been a part of the Paralympic Skill Lab, even if it's just two hours of their time, if it worked and it shifted their attitude and perception about disability and allowed them to, to question their own biases and question their own preconceived notions. To me, that's going to, to carry over when they get into the workplace and when they're working with individuals with disabilities or really with any differences. And they will hopefully remember, okay, I'm not gonna prejudge or assume. I, I know that I can ask questions and better understand. So, I mean, that's those like small parts of how we kind of pass on. I think that that's, that's what makes well, any type of education and advocacy so powerful. So I think those would be my parting words to, to the listeners. And that idea of contact theory, that we can't just read about it. And we can't just, can't just watch it. We, we need to also engage and contact with athletes with disabilities. In this case, we're really with anybody who is different than us when it's meaningful and equal status is going to make a huge difference in starting to break down those preconceived notions. Well, Kathy, thank you so much for your passion. Um, I can really identify. <laughs> Thanks again. Really appreciate You're it. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity.